Hey, welcome to the One to One podcast powered by Staplo. I'm your host, Scott MacArthur. We sit down with leaders and customer experience to get a unique take on how to best engage customers, drive sales, reduce churn, and ultimately increase loyalty. My guest today is Ryan Smythe. He's a thought leader in the SaaS space, currently serves as the CFO at Carbon60, Canada's leading and most trusted hybrid cloud service provider, and has years of experience in the broader technology space. Carbon60's team of service experts help companies every step of the way on their journey to the cloud with industry-leading security solutions for peace of mind and great customer experience. Because they are a hybrid cloud service provider, they are not tied to any one type of cloud, but instead provide their clients with recommendations on the right mix of cloud solutions that best fit the needs of their business. Ryan and I chatted about his time-growing wireless evolution from scratch to a $100 million machine. He places massive importance on developing others, and in this episode, he shares his opinions on the impact of a great manager and how to approach coaching and training. Every leader has at least one mentor that made a big impact on their career. That's why Ryan wanted to give a particular shout out to Ken Mitchell, who showed him the value of indoor mall-based retailing, showing him the ropes of what it took to run an industry-leading wireless retailer, and then supported Ryan in taking the lead on their US venture with Wireless Evolution. While at Rogers, Ryan also wants to credit Jim Detler for teaching about the DNA of a great sales leader and how to sell both internally in a cross-functional way and also externally to a wide variety of customers. One of the reasons Ryan invests in others is directly a result of the efforts Ken, Jim, and others made to invest in him. So thank you to those folks. Hope you enjoy our conversation. Ryan, we've known each other for years. We're going to get right into to some questions. Why don't you talk about uh, what Carbon60 does to start and then get into your background and who you are. Sure. Well, first, thanks for having me today. It's good to be good to be here. Uh, Carbon60 is a hybrid cloud company, and what we do is we help leaders move their technology to the right mix of clouds that are out there uh, to support their businesses. So there's the right mix of private cloud, managed cloud, public cloud that fits their business. Come in and assess where they're at today and help them every step of the way to get to where they want to be to experience the the benefits, both performance-wise and cost-wise, of being based on the cloud. Cool. That's a bit of a change from your uh, telco days at Rogers, or even running one of Sprint's largest dealers, isn't it? It is a big change. I've always loved technology. Uh, was in the retail side of things, clearly, and franchising for a number of years. Uh, but I've always had an interest in the technology side of things, and uh, certainly moving over into the video game space. I learned a lot in the year that I spent there, the development teams, and uh, now with Carbon60 and learning the managed IT environment space. What does CX mean to you? To me, customer experience means looking at your business from the eyes of the customer, as opposed to from our eyes from inside the business. So when I think about customer experiences, what does, what does the customer go through in, in doing business with us, and how can we make it easier? And it's often relative to what the competition is doing, um, because it's constantly evolving. If we don't continue to improve the experience for the customer yep. to meet their needs better, they're going to go somewhere else. For sure. And what's interesting, you're talking about, we were talking about this earlier on, you're a finance guy, you're an accountant by trade, um, someone who has that formal background in finance and accounting. Customer experience isn't something that's typically associated with, with finance, um, knowing you've done a bunch of different roles. How did, you, how did you consolidate when you're at Rogers? How did you consolidate you know, a bunch of those typical finance functions um, that a CFO would be in charge of and converting that into something from a CX standpoint? Well, I believe to have a great customer experience, every employee of a company has to have a customer. may not be an external customer, but they need to have a customer and know who that is. 
So in each role that I've had in my career, I've, I've tried to create a very clear vision for the team about who is their customer and make sure we're serving them correctly. And that's how we were able to transform a number of different finance functions, sales operations functions, general management functions, yep. um, to take them to a different level is really focusing on the customer and changing the experience that they had working with us. So finance does have customers all the way throughout an organization. And we need to treat them as such and make sure that we're meeting their needs, giving them what they need to ultimately serve the end user of the, of the organization. What financial impacts does that have on a company if, if you have a great customer experience uh, strategy? Well, customers are going to choose to do business with you. And I think one of the things about customer experience and prioritizing it is realizing that customers have more choice today than they ever did before. Um, they can, there's much lower cost of switching to another provider of any service or product out there. So having a great customer experience means customers don't just have to do business with you, they want to. That's the ultimate goal. And by aligning every function in the organization to support that experience, that's how you get there. Um, I was able to do a lot of that with Wireless Evolution, is align the organization towards supporting the front line. And uh, that was one of the greatest experiences of, of my life, was seeing that come to life in where we were able to serve customers in a really unique way. That's cool. Um, and before we get into wireless evolution, let's start back. Rogers days just said meeting one of the folks in our in our meeting area that it's been ten years since you're at Rogers. So back in two thousand eight, two thousand nine, you're still at Rogers. Um, running sales channel was your last gig, and you were tasked with growing even further. Give some context of you know what was happening in the industry at the time. It seems like three lifetimes ago, being ten years ago, uh, and what were you working on? The wireless industry is always evolving, but that was a really, really special time. And that was when the iPhone was coming yeah. to be the dominant product in the industry. And we were shifting from phones that you could text with and maybe get a few, uh, a few p bits of data through to the, to the experience that we have today on a smartphone that's really just a, a small computer in our hands. So the challenge we had was how do we evolve the customer experience from what was very transactional and a relatively easy setup for the customer to do on their own to a whole new type of product that the customer is very unfamiliar with and very uncomfortable with setting up. So the challenge was to give them the experience in the store that made them comfortable with this brand new product that was wildly different from what they had just upgraded from or changed from on a different yeah. provider. So we did a lot of research into uh, what needed to happen for a customer to leave the store with their device working and designed a program and trained our reps, measured them on going through that entire setup process and familiarization for the customer so that when they left, they knew how to set up their voicemail. In fact, it would be set up for them. Their data was connected properly. The apps that they wanted were downloaded properly. Uh, they knew how to get service, uh, self-service support as well as, as well as other forms of technical support. That helped us move the needle about 40% in our, in our customer experience ratings with customers uh, before and after implementing that program. The challenge today is different, and that's where I see Statflow being such a great part of the, the new retail experience is back in 2008, we were focused on the experience in the store, and now it's how do we go outside the store and meet customers where they are with outreach and meet their needs, get them back into the store and give them another great experience in stepping into the next device or accessory or whatever experience, wireless experiences that they're looking for. 
you have the unique perspective where you work for one of Canada's largest carriers and then also help run one of Sprint's largest agents or dealers in the U.S. What's, what's unique between the two markets and or what, what do you see has truly changed or needs to change in the next little bit around customer experience? My view is in, in general in retail, systems have not kept up with the demands on both the sales representative and the expectations of the customer. And the e- we've taken the easy way out many times to say, oh, the rep will just do whatever activity it is manually yeah. and we'll have some sort of spreadsheet or checklist or um, activity that they're supposed to do. What that's done is it's taken the rep's focus away from truly engaging with the customer, building a relationship, creating those great moments for the customer in the retail environment. So what I see needs to happen, of which I think Statflow is a big part of the future on, is a new set of tools need to be provided in each industry. Wireless is one of them, but in every industry, to the sales rep to allow them (coughs) to maximize their time with the customer, really meeting the customer needs and minimize their time on administration. If we look over the past 20 years, the percentage of time that sales reps are able to spend with customers is dramatically less today than it was 20 years ago. We have to fix that. Got it. And so, you know, following knowing you for a while, you're huge on leadership. How does hiring and career development, whether it's the frontline retail reps or field leadership or different folks within an organization, how does that, how does the impact customer experience? Well, ultimately, engaged employees are going to drive loyal customers. They're going to engage with them. They're going to create those moments that, that we want. So we do have to be careful how, who we hire, but then we have to invest in them as well after they're, um, after they're with us. And I would see another area in retail that must change is the way training is done and the, and the amount of training that is provided to sales reps. And not just sales reps, but the management of the stores, the next level multi-unit management and right up to the top of, of retail. We have to rethink how the industry is working. Again, when I look back 20 years, 30 years, the amount of training that was given was significantly more than what's today. It's compressed today. We fire reps out on the floor as quick as we can and then we blame them if something doesn't go right instead of truly coaching them to bringing them along the journey. So I've been fortunate in my career to work with a lot of great people. And um, that's, for me, has been the, the most rewarding part of my career, is seeing others progress. Uh, in many cases, my successor in roles has been from within my own organization, which um, I take a lot of pride in that, that uh, these folks have been able to step up to those roles and enable me to go out, off and do something different. And, and so you talk about you know, training being really important. It's, it's the reps are literally being put out to, to sink or swim. It's funny. I was just talking to one of the, one of our carrier partners the other day and they were saying, you know, from a marketing standpoint, the obvious solution is always give the reps a bigger incentive and we need more training on certain things. When you talk about training, what does, what does that actually mean? Is it just, Hey, here's a one pager, go figure out how to sell this product or is it more hands-on coaching? Well, certainly long training courses are not, Um, as effective today as they were in the past. The pace of business is at a different speed. Um, There's often part-time workers, uh, different types of of workers in the store. So um, more smaller pieces of training, but regularly and hands-on is what needs to happen. We've gotten to the place where we want to automate everything, um, and certainly some aspects of training can be automated. But when we're talking about a human interaction between a sales representative that's representing our company yeah. and a customer, um, that ultimately is a human interaction and it needs to be trained in a human way, not just with a machine. 
So that's where the training of the next level up, the manager of the store is the most important asset in any retail organization, I believe. So the training of those managers and the incentive for them to train the reps in such a way that they create those moments with customers. Over and over in my retail career, I've seen where we see a store underperforming, we change the manager, we bring in a top level manager and the store immediately changes performance. That the value of that frontline manager in the training, coaching, motivation of the sales rep can't uh, easily be measured. And so, you know, you talk about that store manager being critical to the success of the business. Um, how do you instill that sense of customer centricity and that, that motivation to really drive, drive performance across the entire org? Well, certainly when we're talking about retail specifically and at the store level, one of the things I always look for was, do they like people? Because when you're in retail, you're meeting hundreds of people in a, in a month, uh, thousands in a year. If you're not naturally enjoying meeting people, it's going to be a really hard job to be successful at. So finding people that um, had an enjoyment of, of interacting with new people they've never met before and having an impact on others was, were the things that I was really looking for in my frontline leaders. Beyond that, you, know, you look for folks that have a balanced perspective that are able to balance front of the house and back of the house as opposed to being overly one way or the other. And then as you get up into the senior level of the organization, I was always looking for folks that had skills that I didn't so that it would build out the pieces that, that were my blind spots and, and areas that I was left less comfortable with. And that was how we were able to assemble some pretty uh, interesting teams over the years. That's cool. And you think about you running a sales org, you know, having that deeply analytical view. You are a fairly personable dude, but you still have that, that accounting background. Um, it must have been, there must have been some really interesting conversations with the grizzled sales folks that said, no, this is gut instinct, this is what I want to do, where you're probably more of an analytical guy saying, okay, let's think through the process. Is that kind of fair to say? Lots of conversations, good ones though. Yeah. I learned a lot from sales leaders, and there is a, a general perception that uh, sales is more art than science, but I came to appreciate that there was also quite a bit of science yeah. behind how salespeople, truly the great ones, how they think about uh, selling. And so I was able to identify a number of those and bring them forward in the organization. That led to us having leading sales results for a number of years. Got it, that's cool. Uh, so fast forward, you moved to Wireless Evolution. Uh, how, how big was Wireless Evolution by the time you left? It was 100 million in sales, 500 employees, 72 locations. Yeah, it was a good not size a, organization. Not a small business. Um, so from a CX perspective, what did you learn from your previous experience at Rogers or elsewhere? And, and how did you bring that to, to wireless evolution? Talked a lot about it, you know, in previous questions, but how did you instill that same belief within different brand, different carrier, different market altogether? Well, the thing that was common, there is much that is different between Canada and the United States. And I had to learn some hard lessons about difference in credit scores between states and different regulations between yep. different states uh, that were very different from my Canadian experience. But the thing that was common that I learned from, from Rogers was a couple of things. Um, one of them was the value at, of the indoor shopping mall yep. at the time. Now, clearly, there's been some changes in the most recent years that would, that would say the retail world is evolving quite quickly. But uh, back at the time, the uh, indoor malls were very, very profitable locations, and I got to see that firsthand when I was with 
with Rogers and working with all of their franchise and their corporate stores looking at what stores produced the most volume and were the most profitable. So when we went into the United States, uh, we focused exclusively on indoor mall-based retailing, which, at least within the Sprint brand, was something that had been abandoned for the most part, uh, seen as uh, too difficult to manage, uh, too difficult to recruit for, um, lots of risk and of loss and fraud and, and different problems like that. But what I was able to uncover was that the reason for that was because they were trying to group together a unique type of retail, which was indoor mall-based retailing, inside a territory of, say, a, a, re a retail area manager that he might have had a service center, he or she might have had um, a business team and a street front location all mixed together into this territory, if you could call it so, that, yeah, which manage. really was a kitchen sink of a whole bunch of different businesses, and then they wondered why none of them performed very well. So what we were able to do was purify the business and really focus on the indoor mall-based retailing. And that was everything from how we recruited, how we trained, all of our operational processes, our finance processes, our scorecarding as a team. Um, everything that we did was aimed at the indoor mall. And for that reason, I think the number was 30 consecutive months we led, uh, we led the nation in large dealers in productivity per door um, in terms of performance. So that was the learning that, I, that we brought from Canada uh, to the United States, and it held true across the major markets that we were in, uh, even though the states were different and the regulations were different and the people were different. Um, though that theory and that hypothesis about where to drive value held true. Do you think that model is true today as it was when you first started in terms of focusing on malls and uh, instead of standalone locations? I think the model's challenged now today with the, the, the challenge in general in retail and, and rethinking of the mall environment. We were very selective about which malls we went into and which ones we didn't. I think there can still be some success today. Uh, but the other big difference today from where we started is the scale now of, of dealers, as we call them, or wireless retailers. I talked about having 72 locations. That's now a small dealership in the United States. There's now... 50, as you know, 1,500 and, and more uh, doors yeah. under a single retailer. Um, and there's more than one of those. There's many of them now that are running these large-scale, billion-dollar-plus businesses. That's a very different business than the wireless retailers of, of the past. For sure. And, you know, talk about that. When you first started Wireless Evolution, handful of stores, I think you guys, do you acquired to get into the Sprint business? Acquired 30 stores. So... You know, talk to me about going from large, big brand corporate life to more or less a, st a startup or an upstart with 30-ish locations and really an SMB-focused business. Um, How did you transition from that and, and really get into rolling up your sleeves and, and getting stuff done? Well, I was fortunate. Rogers was a wonderful experience for, for nine years. It was, a, it was really an, uh, an MBA while working to, uh, to go those nine years with the organization. The entire time I was working... <clears throat> In, the franchise, in their franchise world with their wireless retailers. So while I was part of a large organization and I got to see a lot of uh, robust processes and, and strategic thinking that uh, was uh, applied there within Rogers as a whole, the majority of my time was spent with those small and medium-sized businesses helping them grow. So that gave me, uh, I guess, a unique set of skills, you might say, of being able to be both strategic and also right down to rolling up the sleeves and doing work myself. So when I got into the, the uh, 
sprint business in the United States, the biggest change I found was actually my calendar, where when I was in the big organization, <laughs> my calendar was full of meetings yeah. uh, from eight to five, and then you get work done after five. In the more entrepreneurial world, I had no meetings, but I had more work than I had ever had in my life before. And uh, it was a challenge to balance all of that, but a lot of fun along the way. And so you think about that, all this work needs to get done. Remember Kevin, our founder of Staff Flow, said to me when I left Tally, he's like, Scott, you actually have to do work here. You don't have a team to do it. You have to actually do work, uh, which was kind of a given, but it was, it was an eye-opener when I first started here. Uh, part of what I've learned here is, as you said, building a cool team, a great team that's able to fill in the blanks for what you're not awesome at. What role or what person was your kind of most favorite hire that really helped push the business forward? There were a number, so it wouldn't be just one. Um, but we started with a very small team. And I was fortunate to have uh, some folks that had already worked within the Canadian wireless business that the financial owner of the business uh, provided to, to help with the startup. But uh, my own job evolved every 30, 60, 90 days, and I had to, uh, as we were hyperscaling the business at a, a rate that was beyond really what would be uh, the, the normal way of building a business, but it was the right thing to do, um, I handed off a lot of responsibility on a, almost a weekly or monthly basis as we, as we were growing the team. So the hires that I was most proud of, I guess, would be really the senior team that I ended up with uh, in the end. And it was carefully assembled with skill sets that I didn't have that complemented each other, worked well with me, and we were able to really take the business to its, to its potential. So there was an external hire uh, that into the sales organization that was eventually promoted uh, to vice president of sales, that's Dave Turris. Um, and then transferring from another division was the general manager of operations, Ron Enns. And then on the finance side of things, Millie Vega was hired externally and brought into the organization. So from all different places, we found the right people and they complemented each other and, and helped, uh, helped me with the areas that I wasn't as, as strong in. And together we made a really great team together. That's cool. Yeah, it was, uh, you know, one of our last podcasts was with Stacey Heyman from IQ and we were talking about, you know, finding the right fit, the right folks to help drive the business forward. And, you know, a startup like Statflow, it's not all about you have 30 years of experience. Really, what are you a smart person? Can you get stuff done? Are you going to figure out how to get it done in a, this ambiguous world? And it's not all about having the person that's been there forever. It's, it's really finding the right people externally or internally to, to drive the business forward. That's cool. Obviously, this podcast is about customer experience. Any cool stories or, or things that were, you're just super stoked about, whether Rogers or Wireless Evolution over the last number of years? Well, I think with Rogers, you know, we, we were in 2007, 2008 with the launch of the iPhone and the, the, the very fast move of the market from what was really a dumb phone, so to speak. It, would, it could do a phone call, it could do some text messages to a fully functional smartphone. And changing the experience in the store to where customers who wanted to have all of those features of the iPhone or the smartphones that, that came out, but didn't know how to get them, teaching them before they left the store so they could get the most out of their, of, the, of their device. What we were able to do was move the customer experience measurement of willingness to recommend 40% north yeah. by really training our reps about the conversation to have with the customer, the steps to go through, the areas to demonstrate live to the customer, the things that needed to be set up so that the customer could be comfortable 
and feel successful using their new device. So that was arguably the biggest success of, of my career on the okay. customer experience side. On the wireless evolution side, we were able to drive a lot of sales in the mall-based retail environment while avoiding some of the less classy sales elements that happen within the, uh, within the mall environment. So we were very much around the training of reps so that they could greet customers in a way that was not offensive, that was not um, a nuisance to them, but be able to engage with folks in a positive way and uh, ultimately do a sales transaction. We look at the recent announcements of the Timo Sprint merger. It looks like it's probably going through finally after multiple years and probably a ton of anguish by anybody associated with Sprint and the dealer network. Um, that creates the really a third major carrier. Do you see a role or an opportunity for a fourth carrier in, in the U.S.? I do. It's a huge market. When you look around the world, um, there is competition around the world. So in the biggest market in the world, the United States, uh, going to three carriers, I think, is short-term, and there will be a fourth player. How successful they will be, I think it depends on how they execute. You look at T-Mobile, they were the fourth player many years ago. They are now seriously going to challenge AT, AT&T and Verizon. Their network is going to be awesome. They're going to force Verizon to innovate, um, and they're going to get into a real battle for customers across multiple different dimensions of competition. Where I think there would be an opportunity for a fourth player is, again, to execute really well, but focusing again on wireless only. The play that Verizon and especially AT&T and, and T-Mobile will get dragged into is that multi-bundled, uh, multi-type multi of uh, competitive landscape, which is a place to play, but that makes room for someone that is a pure wireless play that really executes well at a great price point with a solid network for customers. And do you think that's a hybrid of a prepaid, postpaid brand? Or is it, when you talk about wireless only, is that more of a pure prepaid play? I think it can be both because there are, there are customers that prefer one or the other. And when we talk about customer experience, it needs to be what they want, not what we want. For so sure. the customer should be able to choose what they want. And then, so the, the rumors of Dish or the assumptions that Dish are taking over Boost, what's your, what's your gut on that? Do you think... They're going to come out with a, a multi-play solution or value prop for the customers with their TV and, and mobility? I think they might try that, and that is a very hard play to execute on. It may have some short-term gains in terms of being able to sell into their existing base, but to ongoing compete with the type of diversity that, say, AT&T brings to the table, I don't think they can be successful at, at that particular way of competing. I would urge them to focus really... Uh, a lot on the wireless experience, the price point, the quality of the network, so that customers that are interested in that value play uh, will come their direction. Uh, yeah, it makes total sense. You know, you haven't played a ton on the prepaid side. Do you think there's the same needs for customer experience are there on, on the prepaid side of, of the business and, and there is a real market to create a unique experiential play within prepaid? I believe so, yes, because prepaid has been neglected over the years because it's the lower revenue type of customer. That's the, again, the wrong view. That's the view from inside the organization instead of the view from the customer. These are real people that want to buy our product and we need to be able to service them properly with a great customer experience. And I do think there's a lot of opportunity to take prepaid from the dark ages where it's been left while postpaid got all the attention and bring it into 
the modern world of retail and customer experience. Yeah, it makes, makes a ton of sense. Our CEO, he's lived in the prepaid world for the last 10, 15 years. And really outside of North America, it's really all about prepaid. There's not a lot of postpaid markets outside of North America. We're still years behind probably the rest of the world in terms of value prop. So you took a one-year hiatus after after Wireless Evolution was sold. And, and just so I understand, Wireless Evolution was sold to another dealer? Yes, sold to another dealer, a great dealer out of New York. And uh, I was, I led the, the negotiation and the sale process of the business uh, right up until the transaction. Our head office team was based in Canada, which was redundant with the uh, organization that already existed at the acquiring dealer. So as of the transaction date, handed over the organization um, at midnight on April 2nd, uh, 2018, and uh, stepped back to be more an advisory role at that point uh, on the, the rest of the transition that occurred. Got it. And, and so you end up having almost a year of, of downtime or vacation, if you will, a retire, early retirement, mid, mid-career retirement. What were you up to over the, that 12-month span? Building organizations requires a lot of energy. And uh, I put my heart and soul into wireless evolution. And when you build something like that and then you have to say goodbye to it and hand it off, even when it's the right decision and you're happy with the transaction, there's still a period of time of, of recharge and reset that's, that's needed. So uh, I took some time to uh, do some consulting work, spend time with my family, um, and look at some new things that I wanted to do with my career. So after a few months of, uh, of recharge and, and doing some consulting work, I joined a video game company to support their growth. They were a, a, a unique play within the um, Unreal Engine 4 space and helping them scale their business did that for about a year until I've uh, moved on to this new opportunity here in Toronto. Cool. So it's really that 12 months really helped you open your eyes of what else is out there outside of just your, your career of telco. Yeah, I've been 20 years almost in, in telco and that's been a great run. Um, and I wouldn't be opposed to doing some of that again in the future, but it's, um, I'm enjoying the, the new technology spaces and, and both learning about them and applying learnings that, that I bring from, from my experience uh, moving through telco. So talking about customer experience, if I were to start a business tomorrow in a regulated market like telco or financial services or any other regulated industry, what do you think the biggest challenge would be to, to starting that business? Well, most people will tell you it's capital because you're going to have to go in at some degree of scale into those markets. But um, I would argue that it's a lot around the appropriate recruiting and training and development of a team. Uh, because customers have high expectations today and they have choice. So where we differentiate, yes, there's the product we sell and, and there can be some limited period of time of differentiation, but ultimately it's about the experience that we're going to give them. So if I could roll back the clock and do something differently, I would invest even more in the training and recruiting and development side of my retail organizations. And certainly that is an, a necessity today for success. Got it. It's a great answer. Where can our listeners find you and, and how can they connect with you? My LinkedIn's open. Uh, Ryan R. Smythe on LinkedIn, uh, S-M-Y-T-H. Feel free to reach out. Love connecting with new people. And if I can help in any way, glad to. Awesome. Thanks, Ryan. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you.